Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. The gospel reading uh, for next Sunday is from the uh, Gospel of John, beginning uh, chapter 20. It's a story of St. Thomas's encounter with the resurrected Lord, and it's the famous passage in which Jesus invites Thomas to put his fingers into his wounds. And so that'll be coming up in the gospel reading. But it raises a, a question which you know, occurred to me a long time ago, but I, I didn't really take it anywhere, and that is, huh, Jesus is raised and glorified, and yet he still has these wounds. What are you supposed to do with that? Well, my guest is Dr. Jonathan Heaps. He's a fellow with the Bernard Lonergan Institute at Boston College, where he specializes in Catholic philosophy and theology. He's published numerous essays on the relationship between embodiment, cognition, and culture that draw especially on the work of major figures in 20th century Catholic thought. His work has appeared in the American Catholic Philosophical Quarterly and Theological Studies. You can visit him at jonathanheaps.com and follow him on Twitter at Jonathan R. Heaps. That's H-E-A-P-S. Jonathan, great to make your acquaintance. Thanks. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Well, let's, let's, let's go to this. Um, Jesus doesn't seem, and the apostles don't seem to be disturbed that mm-hmm. the resurrected Christ, you know, walking around with open wounds. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> at first glance, I'd be, I'd be wondering, you know, let's clean those, <laughs> let's clean those wounds. You don't want sepsis starting or something. Sure. Yeah. No, I was I was raised by a nurse, so I always got the uh, the, the the iodine and uh, and the uh, cotton swab treatment. So yeah. I'm familiar with the impulse, but no, I mean, you know, Jesus does. I think at least in one of the gospels, lead with that the usual thing angels say, right? Do not be afraid. Yeah. And yeah. you'd think there might be some reason why they could be uh, apprehensive, um, but he does say to them, you know. Hey, I'm not a ghost or some kind of spirit. Right. Look, I am flesh and bone. Uh, and so really underlining in the gospel text that, that he's there in a body. And, uh, you know, and maybe it's too literal, but, uh, you know, he does say, I am flesh and bone. And yeah. he says, look, you wonder if maybe he had some kind of gnarly wounds. You wonder if maybe they could see some some flesh and some bone. Yeah, right. That's true. Yeah, that it was exposed. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, you know, um, I, this this kind of concreteness uh, seems to me is important for uh, Catholics uh, and really any Christians who believe in the Incarnation um, to come to grips with the fact that even the resurrected Christ is being is presenting himself uh, and his wounds, um, apparently for the sake of identification, right? Mm-hmm. L- look at my hands and my feet. No, it is I. Yeah, he says. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think you know the in um, in the definition of Chalcedon, it says that Christ is like us in all ways except sin. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the crucifixion, you know, Good Friday reminds us annually that that one of the very human things that Jesus is susceptible to is being wounded, is having his bodily integrity compromised. 
and um, and I think another very human thing that we meet in the way that Gospels present Jesus to us is how being wounded in those ways shapes our identity, shapes who we are, and in some ways can be a, an important part of who we are for other people. Mm-hmm. And that uh, and that is you know evidently true in the in the risen Christ. Um, he himself points to it as a marker of identification. And I think you know if you've un- if you've been wounded one way or another, I I think you can find something to resonate with that in in the human experience that Jesus shared with us. Yeah. You know, people assume that the resurrection body will be uh, a perfect body without blemish, Uh, and yet when we see the resurrected Christ, we're seeing a body that has, you know, wounds, uh, perhaps scars, um, Mm -hmm. and that those are important identity markers for him as he maintains his relationship uh, with the Twelve. So it must mean that in some way those uh, mutilated portions of our body can exist in a glorified state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas talks about God's grace as both elevating uh, raising us up sort of to God's level, so to speak, mm-hmm. but also as healing. And uh, he means specifically healing from the effects of sin. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think we can think about that in two ways, right? Uh, we, can, we can talk about the effects of sin in terms of the way that sin diminishes our character, yeah. that we become, we're, we're made sort of smaller by our sin. Right. And maybe if you know someone who in whom that's happened, right, that they their the way they've been given over to their sin has has made them petty or well, you know whatever mm-hmm. um but a, but a sin affects us another way in which um you know it's it's we say of christ that he he bore the sins of the world and and in this sense it's not that he himself was sinful but rather that the the painful consequences of sin were inflicted on him on his body. Mm-hmm. So he, he suffered the effects of sin, the consequences of sin. Thomas in Latin calls it, you know, malum pene, the evil of punishment, or the evil of consequence, if you want. And, um, you know, I think that so this is a little bit counterintuitive for folks, and I understand why, because we think of resurrection as something that happens in Jesus in virtue of him being God. But in the book of Revelation, in John's Apocalypse, it says that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. Yes, yes, Revelation 1-5, right. Right, and so, and so resur- resurrection is, is something that we share with Jesus, not uh, in virtue of him being God, but in virtue of him being human. Mm. That it's, it's, a, it's an elevated way of being human, or you said earlier, you know, a glorified way of being human, that Christ has now, and we hope for in the next life. Yeah. And so what if we want some insight about what it will be like to be a resurrected human being with a body in a new heaven in a new earth below a new heaven, uh what will it be like? Cuz you know, we don't get a whole bunch. Uh and, and and there's only one way to find out for sure. And so if we want some insight looking at how the Gospels present Jesus to us, and how St. Paul writes about people's reporting of their experience of the risen Lord, 
is really our main clue to what possibly it might be like. Yeah. And in his case, he's walking around with with these wounds. Yeah. Now, they don't seem to bother him. He eats, he walks, he has conversations, he lets people poke at it, and it doesn't, you know, <laughs> if, if I had a big wound in my side and somebody started poking at it, I might swat their hand away. <laughs> but he invites it, right? Right. So being wounded doesn't seem, he doesn't seem to suffer from it. But yeah, he seems... He seems in in the Gospel of John. Certainly, he's walking around with them, and they're not they're not even scars. They're open. And, and yet, Saint Paul in First Corinthians fifteen tells us that um, you know the, the corruptible will be raised uh, incorruptible. Um, right. So, uh, sh- how are we? Should we? Should we assume then that it's possible to have these wounds, and yet? not be in a corruptible condition, because uh, right. clearly Jesus is not—we don't say he's in a corruptible condition. Uh, he, we're assuming he is the example of what it means to be raised incorruptible. You know, right. the mortal clothes itself with immortality. Yeah. No, and, you know, we, we in science fiction, right, we read about suspended animation, you know, cryo-freezing, that kind of thing. And, yeah. And Jesus is, is sort of sort of the opposite somehow. He's in suspended decomposition, <laughs> right? He has, he's got these wounds, he's been dead, but he doesn't, none of the markers of, of, of what happens to human bodies when they've been dead and when they've been wounded seem to show up. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, there's a story from Christian history uh, at at one of the church councils, one of the early church councils, I think at Nicaea, in fact, where the Emperor Constantine, who's called the thing, greets one of the bishops who, in the persecution of Christians, has had his, one of his eyes gouged out. Mm. And Constantine, the, the history has it, greeted him by kissing the empty socket. Wow. wow. Which is a, a powerful image just on its own, just yeah. between two people, yeah. you know, even if we sort of leave God out of it. But but the I, uh, it struck me as I was thinking about these same questions that I, I, I wonder if not only could our wounds in our resurrected life, and this is all, you know, I'm speculating. Yes, I'm using yes. the evidence of Scripture and tradition to, to spin out what it might be like. Sure. So none of this is, um, I don't want anybody to walk away thinking I'm telling them this is the way it has to be, but this is my sort of guess that, that there might be a way in which not only could our wounds be part of or constitutive of our identity, but that even not only will we be healed in the fullness of God's grace and resurrection, but that our wounds will be elevated to a a kind of honorific, that like Constantine kisses that wound of the bishop's name was Paphnutios, um, like, you know, like Constantine honored that wound, that when we greet each other in the next life, that we might not only recognize each other to some extent by our wounds, but also that they would not be embarrassing things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that we would be on, you know, my, uh, my son went to a trampoline park a few weeks ago and uh, treacherous places apparently. And he, <laughs> he, he injured uh, his tibia. Mm. And so he had to have a cast from his foot all the way up above his knee. Yeah. And he was worried a little bit what his friends would think when he went back to school. And, you know, he'd have to have crutches, and they were going to get a wheelchair for him and all this stuff. And uh, and you know what? He was a celebrity. <laughs> they rushed around him. They wanted to carry his backpack, right? Yeah. That he was, uh, he was honored. He was honored, uh, though he was wounded, though he needed help, you know. 
That's great. Uh, that's a, uh, fascinating. This ability to be wounded uh, was apparently part of Christ's humanity uh, mm-hmm. and certainly part of ours. And given that we are – that our resurrection uh, will be the elevation uh, of our, our life into the presence of God, do we lose the story of – I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll let you pick this up on the other side of the break. But I'm going to ask okay. – so, so, for instance, uh, I lost a limb to necrotizing fasciitis – it's become now part of who I am. I'm missing that leg. And so the question is, it's a meaningful, very meaningful event in my life. Uh, do I still have that in the resurrection? I'm Al Cresta. With me is uh, Dr. Jonathan Heaps, who's done some thinking on the body of the resurrected Christ and um, has offered some speculation on it, um, which I thought was, I'd never heard before, and I thought it was especially interesting. Um, Christ is raised. He has his uh, glorified body, uh, and yet he has wounds. And these wounds don't seem to hamper him. Uh, he doesn't seem to be vulnerable any longer to uh, disease that might come from having open wounds. And so the question that uh, Jonathan asks in this article, uh, will our risen bodies uh, also carry with them the, the wounds, the physical wounds, that have been characteristic, uh, had become characteristic of our lives on earth. And I, I may, the, the, I put it in terms of my own situation, having lost a limb, and that is, for the last 20 years, has formed, uh, it's been part of my identity. Uh, I don't expect, if I'm raised limbless, that that will limit me. I don't know exactly how locomotion goes on in heaven. But, um, I am interested in the idea of being raised with our wounds, but in some way they've been, they're not ugly any longer, but they're honored. Um, You gave us that example earlier of Constantine kissing the eye socket of somebody who had been uh, mutilated during persecution. You gave the example of your son. who, with a, a, a leg, in uh, after breaking his tibia, is where he's wearing a cast, and all of a sudden that bestows on him a certain kind of honor for his in his classmates. So, I guess that's it. Hmm. So, what happens to my leg? <laughs> you know, I I I I have to say that I I don't know. Okay, but you know one one thing that I I would. One avenue to explore 
right? We're, these are these are explorations. We're trying stuff out. You know, this is uh, there used to be in Catholic theology a distinction between positive theology and speculative theology. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Positive theology was about the doctrines and the dogmas that that you profess are to believe are true on the testimony of the apostles and the tradition of the church. And then speculative theology was the other discipline where you suppo- you just you grant all of the doctrines are be are true on right. the basis of faith, and then you can raise and answer questions as as you have them about the doctrine. So yeah. here we have the doctrine of of Christ's bodily resurrection and our own, and I'm doing this other speculative thing. And the great thing, let me tell you, about being a speculative theologian is if you're wrong, it's just a failed hypothesis. <laughs> it's not heterodoxy. It's, you're not right. a heretic. All that all that you did is you floated an idea and it didn't work out. So yeah. that's all we're doing here. But that's right. One avenue I would explore in that in that respect is, you know, I I grew up in a household with two disabled parents. Uh, my mom had an autoimmune disease and my my father lost uh, most of his sight to diabetes. Mm. Okay. And and one of the things that that people with disabilities discover is that disability often uh, is the most it's the most visceral when you go out of your house where you've been able to sort of work around whatever limitations you, you, you might have mm-hmm. or differences mm-hmm. you might have. And I'm sure you've had this experience, right? You go to a restaurant or you go to the airport and they're not prepared. Right. They, they aren't sure how to deal with you, right? <laughs> my, my son's school had to figure out how to, how to deal with this little boy who was on crutches and had a big, long cast. And it took us a little while to figure out what accommodations we were going to make. Um, and so, you know, if you meet the Lord in resurrected form and you discover that that, that limb which you lost, which has become part of losing it, has become part of your identity, it's still gone. One way we might think about the elevation or the, the sort of improvement, if you want, about the resurrected life is that the resurrected society, right, the kingdom of God, yeah. the, the, the city of God in which we will dwell with Christ as our king, as our executive, so to speak, mm-hmm. will be a social order in which you won't bump into other people who aren't prepared to accommodate that which you need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that it will be, uh, and more, even more than that, perhaps we might say that they are given the grace of being the one who aids you yes. perfectly. <laughs> that by God's grace, they are not only able to help you, which is a, a grace, but to help you perfectly. And in this life, if anyone's been a caregiver of an aging parent or someone who's fallen ill, you know that it's a big learning curve, and you're not doing it perfectly and there are failures, and there's things you have to apologize for, and you know, and things that can be embarrassing. Well, one way we could think about resurrected life is that those uh, those difficulties, those friction points, are sort of sanded off. How, what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I, I, it I th- think about it in this way: hmm. Will I be limited in the same way? Uh, will my will I be? I mean, Jesus walks through walls, right? Somehow gets. Sure. And so the question would be: If I bear my wounds uh, in my incorruptible body, and that there's no longer any shame or dishonor associated with those wounds, um, 
And I, I, lo- I by the way, I love, I love your description of uh, members of the kingdom of God uh, being able to uh, honor, acknowledge, help with wounds. But if I don't have limitations, I mean, that's the question I'm bumping up against. Will I actually have physical limitations? I, I don't mind being legless because I'm not sure how uh, I'm, God is, is adequate for all things. So I'm not worried about not being able to move uh, in heaven. But I'm curious what that does to the, your hypothesis. Yeah, no good. So one thing I, I might say is that, you know, if, if uh, well, one of the tensions in the Christian tradition is, is about this point. You know, I invoked St. Thomas Aquinas earlier, and he talks an awful lot about beatific vision, mm-hmm. where, as St. Paul says, we see God face to face. And that's a kind of intellectual or spiritual if not total removal of limits, a, a radical, you know, redrawing of the boundaries, so that we're now proportionate to experiencing God face-to-face. Right, right. But also there's this tradition of, you know, uh, the, 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 like I said before, right, a, a city of God and, a kind of, and also a garden, and we have these bodies. And yes, Jesus does very strange things with time and space, but he's still in time and space. Yeah. Right? He appears mm-hmm. in this place, and then he appears in that place. He's not in all places at once. So there's a there's a tension in the Christian tradition between how radical is the sort of, I'd say dilation of our limits as creatures in mm-hmm. be, in God's grace, and then the further question of, um, but nonetheless. We're still creatures, and yeah. so we're going to be finite. Yeah, and yeah. and the the eschaton, right? The end of all things. We don't we don't have indication that that is going to withdraw our finiteness, our creatureliness. Right. We are still we will forever be God's beloved creatures. Yeah, and that means having limits yeah. of some kind, however you know however dilated. No, that's good. That's good. Uh, again, this is. Uh, I've not speculated on this before, but uh, I do think it's important to, again, remind us that, uh, you know, uh, in the kingdom, um, we do not, uh, we don't achieve omniscience, omnipotence, or omnipresence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those are all gods. Yeah, those, that's right. Those will not be ours. And so no. those are limitations we have as creatures. And what would, what does that mean, then, for other limitations uh, that we might have um, and I don't know. Uh, to me, it's and I would want to press. I would want to press one one point in there too, which is that we I think often feel um, ashamed or beholden or some way guilty about needing the help of others because of whatever our our limitations might be. Absolutely, if they're physical, yeah. and I I would take a pretty firm stand that uh, in, in the eternal kingdom of God and the resurrection, that, that those feelings won't be a part of the—won't be part—if if we need the help of others, those feelings won't be part of that experience. That's right, yeah. That to receive the loving help of others will be an occasion of joy, yeah. of, yeah. mutual, of mutual love and of joy. Yeah. It, it's, it's, you would say, this is the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and, and so if you're being assisted in some way— that refers to some kind of limitation, 
And so people are responding to that in a perfectly loving and competent way. And so you can say, this is the kingdom, this is the way it's supposed to be. Uh, and yet you're still saying that there's some sort of limitation here that you need assistance with. That's, mm-hmm. that's uh, interesting. I hadn't thought of that uh, before. But I, I do and that's think, true go of, ahead. Yeah. And that's true of any of any society, right? So if it really is a, a kingdom, right, if it's a city, if it's a it's a you know, the Greeks would use the word a polis, then there are gonna be these relationships between people of of different kinds of dependence. And we don't know what those look like in the in the kingdom of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. But but you know we can we can make analogies, we can sort of ex- extrapolate from our experience and so you know, I, I depend on the mailman to bring me my mail, right. and I depend on the people to stock the shelves at the grocery store and, uh, you know, the guy to deliver the gasoline to the gas station. Um, and and so one assumes that, you know, if we think of, of the next life, not just in individual terms, right, it's just not, not just about my no. individual experience, exactly, but about being a part of the beloved community of God— of uh, being the people, the people of God, like it, uh, you know, like uh, like the the Vatican II documents say, then uh, you know, yeah, I think there's going to be a kind of there's going to be an economy of the resurrection, if you like, you know. Yeah. Uh, again, this is uh, this is in an er- this is an area of speculative theology that I haven't given much attention to, and I appreciate uh, the ch- the challenge here, and um, I. I think your article makes a, a great point, and that is that um, vulnerability to wounding belongs to our nature. Mm-hmm. And so um, the divine person who took on human nature, Christ, um, in assuming human nature, he became vulnerable to wounding as well. So mm-hmm. this this idea of being vulnerable to being wounded seems to be essential to our human nature. Am I wrong on that? I, I you know, I, I think I think it's a reasonable hypothesis. I yeah. think it seems it seems to be the case. Yeah, yeah. And so, if if that is the case, then the wounds that we experience uh, in space and time in our life on Earth, uh, when our life is redeemed then those wounds become the occasion not of simply correcting the ugly uh, or the dishonorable. Those, what happens there is the meaning of those wounds uh, is elevated to some new level uh, uh, in the way that we, the way they uh, contribute, contribute to our identity. And so... uh, Every wounding that results from victimization belongs to a crucial failure, right? Um, so, but what we know is that Christ's wounds become a matter of glory in heaven. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's something to really ponder. Yeah, and and, I, and it makes you think about um, those those people who have victimized others and left them with wounds yeah who who find by god's grace some repentance and forgiveness might meet those they've wounded yeah uh, and and recognize them 
and and both rejoice both in in elevation and also in the healing of their sin. And that's a moment of glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Jonathan, wonderful. Thanks for joining me today, and uh, I, I hope we can talk again in the future. Me too. Thank you. Dr. Jonathan Heaps, a fellow with the Bernard Lonergan Institute at Boston College. I'm Al Creston.